Thank you for that, Brandon. But I thought you did a tremendous job. Prayer isn't a competition, right? <laughs> it's us just really doing the best that we can to try to speak to God and, and put together all the stuff that's going on in our heads. And the beautiful thing is I, I think that he, he grasps it and understands it before we even say it. So today's sermon is entitled The Long Nose of God. The Long Nose of God. And now I want you to be honest with me. By a raise of hands, when you saw the title of this sermon, who here thought of Pinocchio? Okay, I'm glad that you guys are honest. <laughs> I remember earlier this week I was talking about it with Sarah, and that she was like, that was the first thing I thought about was a picture of Pinocchio. Um, I assure you this sermon is not going to be about calling God a liar. So you can put, put those concerns to rest. Um, but we are going to be focusing on something very specific about God's character. Do I need to connect? It shows I'm connected to the Edmund Sanctuary Apple TV. All right. So, as per usual, let me start off with a question. What is God like? What is God like? If I were to ask you, let me try this. There we go. If I were to ask you to describe God to me, that might be a little overwhelming, right? You, you, might, you might feel overwhelmed because admittedly, uh, that might be a pretty daunting task, a difficult task, depending on how much detail you wanted to go into. What is God like? But when the people who wrote the Bible pondered this mystery of what God is like, they consistently described God in the following ways. Psalm 145, 8, it says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and great in mercy. Nahum 1.3, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Psalm 103.8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. And Nehemiah 9.17 says, they refuse to obey. And they were not mindful to your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. In case you didn't pick up on it, the, the phrase that was repeated each time here was the phrase, slow to anger. Slow to anger. What is God like? The, the Bible writers thought that he was slow to anger, and that's what I want us to focus on this morning. But there's another way that it's sometimes translated. It's the same concept, but sometimes instead of slow to anger, we find the word long-suffering, long-suffering. Like in Numbers 14, 18, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, 
but he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Exodus 34, 6, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Psalm 86, 15 says, but you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Now, this idea, this idea of God being long-suffering, God being slow to anger, that might come as a surprise to some folks. They might ask, well, isn't the Bible, especially the Old Testament, mostly about like God just striking people down because they sinned or, or they committed some wrong? And I mean, I, I can see how some might come to that conclusion, but I believe that the answer here is, a bit more nuanced than that. God's anger in the Bible is actually quite interesting if you're willing to wrestle with it. And I, I know that I tend to be known to constantly preach about God's love and his grace, and sometimes folks approach me and ask, why, why, why am I ignoring the wrath of God, which we see throughout scriptures? Well, we're going to focus on that this morning, but I think as we get through this, we are going to realize that God's Anger and God's love are interconnected. The Hebrew phrase that is translated slow to anger or long-suffering is pronounced arich apaim, arich apaim. And if you're trying to read that, uh, you need to read it in the opposite direction that you are used to reading it. Uh, don't, don't read it left to right, but right to left. But this is that Hebrew word. And it literally means long of nose, long of nose. And maybe you're asking, what on earth does God's patience, God's long suffering have to do with a long nose? Another Hebrew understanding can help us out here. The common biblical Hebrew way to say that someone was angry was to say that their nose burned hot. Their nose burned hot, like in Genesis, the story of Joseph and his boss, Potiphar, who thinks that Joseph has tried to sleep with his wife. In Genesis 39, 19, it says, so it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Now, it's usually translated uh, his anger burned, or like here, his anger was aroused, but the literal translation is his nose burned hot. His nose burned hot. It's the Hebrew way of describing how your body, your, your face especially, gets hot when you're angry, when you're filled with rage. Has anybody witnessed that? Has anyone experienced that? Like you can literally feel your face heating up. Most people, while they can't feel it, they can see it as your face might go red. So in Hebrew, the, the main words used to describe anger are either nose or heat or hot nose. Hot nose. And this is why a patient person is called long of nose. 
long of nose. Because it takes a long time for their nose to get hot, for that heat to radiate throughout the entire nose. And that's why the Hebrew translation of Proverbs eleven nineteen says that a person's wisdom is their long nose, a.k.a. their slow anger. Now, there are numerous times in the Bible where God gets angry. We, we can see that. It's written down, but God doesn't have a nose. God doesn't get hot. These are metaphors. These are metaphors. Using our experience, what, what we know of getting hot and anger to try to describe or make sense of how God feels when he witnesses human evil. Human evil. Just like you or I would get angry if we saw a child on a playground being bullied, so God gets angry when humans abuse and oppress each other and take part in ruining what was once God's perfect world. In the Bible, God's anger is an expression of his justice and his love for the world. But remember, he's slow to anger, which means he gives people lots of time to change. Like in the story of the Exodus, right? Pharaoh has enslaved the Israelites, the the people of God, and calls for all of their baby boys to be cast into the river. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine? God eventually sends Moses to confront Pharaoh, and God gives Pharaoh one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten chances to change. Ten chances to go a different way. But after the tenth refusal, Pharaoh doubles down, right? He, he rides off into the desert with his army of chariots, in the hopes of destroying the Israelites. And so God destroys him in the waters. So what really happens here is that Pharaoh's own evil is turned back on him. And we read in Exodus 15, 7, that it was an act of God's hot anger. And now at at first glance, this might seem kind of harsh. But think about it. God wouldn't be good if he didn't get angry about the evils that Pharaoh was committing, right? And if he didn't eventually do something about it. This was happening on God's watch. And notice how God's anger is expressed by handing Pharaoh over to the consequences of his own actions, his own decisions. This is how, this is often how God's anger is shown throughout the scriptures in this way. It's seen over and over again in the Israelites' story. For those of you that might be visiting with us, that siren goes off every week at noon. <laughs> there, I, 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 I can assure you there's not actually a tornado out there. But so this is the way that God's anger is shown throughout the scriptures, and it's especially seen when you look at the story of the Israelites. 
It's told over and over and over and over again. For hundreds of years, they, they betray the God who literally freed them from bondage, freed them from slavery. And though he gives them numerous chances to make a change, they keep on going and giving their allegiance to the pagan gods of other nations. And you see this, it just keeps on happening. And each time we read that the hot anger of God burned against the Israelites. We see it in Isaiah 5.25. Therefore, the anger of the Lord is aroused against his people. Psalm 106.40. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against his people. 2 Samuel 24.1. Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. But we can't turn a blind eye to what always follows. This isn't the full story. This isn't the end of everything. Each time we read about God's hot anger, what follows is God giving them over, allowing them to fall into the hands of their enemies. You see, God loves us. He loves every human. But God also is a strong believer in choice and free will. Something else I feel like I need to point out is that the first time that God gets angry in the Bible, the first time we see this word being used and attributed to God, it's not in the Garden of Eden. It's not in the flood story. It's not in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. The first time we see it, this display of anger is with Moses at the burning bush. Exodus 4.14, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. This is significant. I believe it shows that God's acts of justice against human evil are not always connected with divine anger. Rather, God's anger is most consistently expressed against his covenantal people, Israel, precisely because they were entrusted with the responsibility of representing God to the rest of the world, right? He laid out the entire plan of why he was hoping to use them in Exodus 19. In the Bible, God gets most angry with the people in whom he's made the greatest relational investment. Maybe you've experienced this in your own life. Somebody that you don't know has done something, eh, it might make you feel perturbed. You don't like it. But then somebody close to you, somebody that you spent time with, somebody that you've devoted your life to does that same thing, and it just hits you differently, right? We've also got to remember that God's anger is not a primary character trait of his. God's anger is a response. It's a response. It's a response to human betrayal and evil, and it's rooted in God's justice and love. And those two things are key components of God's very nature. To be angry at violent evil and to let that anger motivate the pursuit of justice and restoration, those are good things. Those are good things. And that's precisely what God is up to in the Bible. 
His slow anger, as it's called, means that he allows people a lot of time to change. And most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we can admit that eh, we're pretty stubborn. We can be hard-headed. We need that time and lots of it. Looking back at Israel's story, we know that Israel wanted to serve the pagan gods of other nations. They kept asking for it over and over and over again. So God, in his just anger, gives the people what they want, what they think they want. And over and over again, he gives it to them. And you see the armies turning around and coming back, and Israel is defeated, thrown back into bondage. This is similar to what the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Romans. In Romans 1, 18 through 32, Paul says that God's anger is revealed against human evil and then goes on to explain what that looks like three different times. In verses 24, 26, and 28, we find God also gave them up to uncleanness. God gave them up to vile passions. God gave them over to a debased mind. These were things the people were asking for. God hands people over to their destructive desires and decisions. And yes, even when sometimes it leads to death, whether that is physical or spiritual, because choice and free will are important to God, because love is important to God, and you can't have love without choice. It becomes something else. But Paul doesn't stop there. He continues into the next chapter in verses 1 through 4 of Romans 2. And I think that he he does a pretty good job of summarizing the Old Testament message when he says that God is rich in kindness and tolerance and slow to anger and that it's the kindness of God that leads us to turn around, to turn around. That's what repentance is about. It's turning around, making a change, going the other way. He gives people time to come to their senses and to change. Because remember, 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 God's anger is a response to human evil. And it's based on a deeper character trait of his. Namely, his compassion and his loyal love. God is not content to let people sit in their own self-destruction. It's this tension This tension between God's patience, justice, and love that drives the biblical story from Genesis all the way to Jesus. When Jesus arrives on the scene and he reminds us over and over, hey, one of the reasons why I'm here is to show you God, to help you understand the love of God. Because sometimes when we just take a quick view at things, we look at things briefly, we can get all sorts of ideas and concepts about God and his love and how he might feel about us. But as we read through the pages of the Bible, if we take our time, we can see that God is on a mission to rescue. That's what he's doing. 
From Genesis to Revelation, that is the point. And this is why Jesus said that he was going to Jerusalem to die. He told his disciples this more than once. And he said that he was doing it as a demonstration of God's love for his enemies. A novel concept. Matthew 16, 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Jesus would stand in the place of God's people who were choosing self-destruction and take the consequences of their actions Their decisions, remember, actions have consequences. He was willing to take those consequences upon himself. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. In Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we see God's anger, yes, at evil. We see God's anger at evil and his love for people. This anger and this love working together to provide forgiveness and life for humanity that is lost in self-ruin. We can't be trusted. (laughs) When left to our own devices, we can't be trusted. God knows this. And God set out to rescue us. So God's anger in the Bible is, it's really important. It's important, but it's not the end of the story. It's not the full picture. It's a part of it. When God is angry and brings justice, it's because he's good that he does these things. And he's extremely patient, right? Working out his plan to restore people to him. And the hopes and the desire and the wish that nobody would reject him, that all would accept and be saved be changed, and experience what it's like to have unconditional love. And as we are reminded in James 1.19, we have a part to play. Because once we are connected to God, it's through his spirit that we too are called to also be slow to anger, to also have a long nose. God wants us to play a part. He showed us instances in the Old Testament. Jesus came, laid it all out, showed it to us even clearer. The fact that God is slow to anger. And that, dear friends, is what it means when we talk about the long nose of God. Amen and amen. Will you pray with me? Our loving, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I I know that we spend a lot of time up here week after week talking about what, what we can do, what we should do, how we can apply things, but sometimes it's important just to sit back and bask in your presence and to look at and to focus on what you are truly like. Lord, we are grateful that you are slow to anger. Lord, we are grateful that you are long-suffering because we are stubborn. We are hard-headed. 
We get focused on all kinds of other things, but Lord, you are trying to reach us with your love. So Lord, when we, when we hear you knocking on the door of our heart, may we be willing to open the door and let you in. To experience what it means to serve a God who has a long nose, who doesn't just fly off the handle and let his hot anger get the best of him. And Lord, as we learn about that, Lord, as we experience your love, we give ourselves to you and ask that you would help us to have that same experience, that you would help us to deal with others in the same way, long-suffering, slow to anger. Lord, this is our prayer, and we thank you for hearing it and for answering it in accordance with your will. We ask this all in Jesus' name, amen.